Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, uh, my name is Mark Machado and I'm an old priorian. And the school have asked me to get in touch with other old priorians and find out how they have managed to become a success in their chosen career path. Today, I'm uh, very happy and excited to introduce to someone who was, was a year below me at school and who has recently become a very important person in the country. Alex Stafford, thank you for joining me today. Would you like to tell the listener what you do? Hello there. Hi, Mark. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, well, just saying, my name is Alexander Stafford and I'm the newly elected uh, member of parliament for Rother Valley. So I'm a first time MP uh, elected in December 2019 to represent the seat of Rother Valley. And Rother Valley, for people who don't know, is the area basically south of Rotherham and it's basically south, south Yorkshire the border with Derbyshire so that is the area so sort of east of Sheffield and the south bit it includes the sort of towns of Dinnington and Maltby and aspects of the old former mining community. Brilliant thank you Alex um, so I, I suppose the first question is at what point did you decide you wanted to become an MP? That's a tricky question I've been interested in politics really for all my life uh, and actually one of the, the key drivers in that was actually St Benedict's I studied politics uh, at A-level, and this was during 2005, so that's when I left St. Benedict's, there was the general election then, and I st- we had a mock election in the school, and I stood as the Conservative candidates, and I won uh, the school mock elections in 2005, which, uh, and this was the time when there was a lot of Lib Dem sentiment, uh, positive Lib Dem sentiment around, so they pleased about that. But it really was the classes at St. Benedict's that really helped teach me about myself or rather more understand my own beliefs my own family beliefs and my own personal beliefs about what it is the importance of community and my ideological views when it comes to private property helping each other communities and then from that I went to university I went to Oxford I studied history I read history which was a great uh, course but I got heavily involved with the conservative association at university uh, and I became president of the association now that really opened my eyes because at the time, I still is, the Oxford Conservatives is the biggest conservative student body uh, in the country. We had about 600, 700 members at one point. And yes, there's a lot of politicking around and speakers and those sort of events. But majority of the time was basically social events, getting to know like-minded people with similar views, similar values, and really get to know other people. And it was from there that really sort of helped me get more involved in sort of party conservative party political actions so when i left uh, university uh, in 2008 i went and worked uh, for two members of parliament uh, andrew rosendale who's a member of parliament for romford so essex sort of greater london 
and also Owen Patterson, who was at the time the, sh- the shadow and then became the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, focusing heavily on Northern Ireland politics. So that really got me for four years, or three and a half years, at the coalface in Parliament, understanding the job and the role of MP. And I saw firsthand uh, the difference being a member of Parliament could make to people, being half of their community, helping out people's issues, and also having a direct impact on the governance of this country, the direct running, the direct policies, which impact every single person's life. Uh, so that was good. Then following that, I moved into uh, con- uh, consultancy and communications. But at the same time, I kept my uh, political interests going. And in 2014, I stood for council. So so on the, in every area, you're not only represented by a member of parliament, you're also represented by a, ca- a councillor. And the councillors deal with things like your bin collection, your street cleaning, uh, local services. And I stood for the area, which actually includes St. Benedict's School, because my family, my parents' home, lives in the same ward, the same area as the school, my church, obviously uh, St. Benedict's Healing. So I really felt as a way for me of giving back to my community uh, in Ealing. So I very much uh, threw myself involved that. I, I, I stood for election. I won. Uh, in 2015, a uh, general election came around. I didn't stand then. Uh, but the local Conservative MP uh, asked me to stand in for her in Ealing through various hustings uh, and aspects, so I got more heavily involved in the general election there and realised I really enjoyed doing politics, <clears throat> doing politics and helping people out. And that's that's where, where, where it took me. And then... Uh, so, sorry, there's some background noise. So, right, uh, right. so I really involved getting involved in that. And then I decided to take it that uh, step further. And I really wanted to uh, give back to the community. Now, my part of my, my wife's family uh, are from uh, from the area I stood up in, in South Yorkshire. My mother uh, used to work up in Stocksbridge, which is just around the corner in the steelworks there back in the 1970s. So I have quite good links, well, very good links, family links to Rother Valley and the area around it. So for me, it was a natural fit a natural fit we get involved in politics and stand for that area that area i have so many sort of family links and ties and love for and this is the area of the valley which has never ever had a conservative mp in fact in its entire existence of 101 years it has only ever voted for labor in this seat it's never voted for a single other party in fact in 1974 it was the safest labor seat in the entire country with a majority of over 32,000 votes and that's the majority, i.e. 32,000 votes more than any other party got in one seat. So this was a, a rock-solid uh, mining community. Uh, it became famous in the 1980s during the miners' strike, because it really was the heart of the miners' strike. And there was an incident there, which uh, anyone who's listened to this study politics uh, or factorism will know about, called the Battle of Orgreaves. Uh, and that was a key moment to the miners' strikes, where the miners and police fought basically running battles. Uh, outside the coking plant there. So this was a very heavily unionised, heavily labour, heavily mining community. But since that time, these areas, uh, South Yorkshire, uh, all across the north and northeast of England and southern Midlands, have well been neglected by the Labour Party that ran them. They took the votes for granted because they saw them as a rock-solid area. They didn't bother investing in them, didn't bother listening to the views of people, basically just letting these places go to almost almost rack and ruin and ignoring the wishes and wills of uh, the voters and the public. 
And it was that disenchantment that when I started campaigning, getting involved, I realised that these people who had given their lives, obviously, to Labour, for instance, on the council, there's not a single Conservative on the council in, in my area, but it showed me that these people were left behind and being neglected. So I really wanted to help people out and give people a voice, an absolute voice, which they haven't had ever before, and show that it doesn't matter what your views are, but as long as you're listened to, and we, and we listen to you, and that's what I did uh, last year during the campaign. And as we saw in my seat, and in so many seats across the country, this so-called red wall, uh, which Labour held, completely collapsed because the voters decided they wanted a change. And they wanted someone to offer them hope and offer solutions rather than just taking them for granted. And that is where I am today, you know, helping people, representing people and trying to make a difference. You know, the, the, the people who voted for you in Rother Valley have been living under 10 years of Conservative government. I mean, it might not be the government they voted for, but don't, when you talk about underinvestment, doesn't the, the you know, the, the government of, of the day also have to take some kind of responsibility for that as well? Oh, I think there's, there's no doubt about that. Part of his area has been neglected by, by all parties of all political persuasions. And that is because these areas, like on the council, there's about 60 uh, councillors. Not a yeah. single one of them is Conservative. These areas have been rock-solid labour across the years. The local uh, investment hasn't happened. And I think what really came to the fore was a clear wish. So in 2016, we had a vote on leaving uh, the European Union. The people of Rother Valley voted 67%, 67% to leave the European Union. Yet the Labour Party turned around and said, we're going to ignore your vote, we're going to ignore your wishes, and we're going to campaign, and there'll be another referendum on the deal. And people didn't like that. People said, why? You're taking us for granted. You had felt we've had, you know, Labour in power before the Conservatives. I'm Tony Blair with a stonking majority. But these areas did not get the money or investment they did. They, they needed. Then obviously, when the Conservatives came into power in 2010, we had to fix the mess of the last Labour government. Uh, and, with, and austerity had to be introduced initially to try and repay the debts, the huge debts Labour had run up. So these people of Roller Valley had seen Labour had run up huge debts, huge debts, but not actually put the money where the community needed it. And when it came to something as fundamental, something fundamental as listening to a referendum, a vote, a will of the people, Labour had turned their backs on their core vote, on their own people, and said, we think, we just, we don't think you're good enough. We don't think your views matter. And that really was the, the straw that broke the camel's back. The fact, a clear message to be sent out from the people of Rother Valley, a clear direction, yet... This party that they'd voted for for 101 years just said, we don't care about you. So people want to be listened to and they want that decision to be acted on. Um, Alex, you know, when the election was called in December 2019 and, and you you got the nomination to be the, mm. the Tory candidate in the Rother Valley, going up there, mm -hmm. did you think, considering there'd been 101 years of, of pure, unbroken Labour, Labour rule up there, did you think that you had any chance of winning it? Yes. And I, I think I did. And that really came full to me the more and more I campaigned and the more doors I knocked on. And I knocked on about 8,000 doors during uh, the wow. campaign. Obviously, I didn't speak to 8,000 people because people weren't in. But I spoke to about three, three and a half thousand people. Uh, and although you know, the seats has 100,000 people in it, it's still a good, uh, fair you know, reflection. And again and again, I heard the same few phrases like, you know, I'm voting Conservative the first time, but there's no point knocking on any other doors in this village or town because we're all Labour. 
and then I'll knock on the next door neighbour's uh, door and then say, well, I'm voting Conservative, but you won't find anybody else in this village voting Conservative. And then I went to the next one, and again and again, people told me the same thing, that they would had, hadn't ever voted uh, Conservative before, but they would this time. And again and again, I heard the same phrases, literally, my father would be turning his grave if he knew, if he knew he was voting Conservative. But... People had just got to a point of being sick of everything. So the more I campaigned, the more I realised and understood how deeply betrayed. And it was a betrayal people felt that Labour had taken them for granted and ignoring their their wills and their wishes. So going into it, I I was was quite confident. We fought a very positive, upbeat campaign of hope, a campaign of listening to people, of getting things done. Not just Brexit, which is important, but more police in the streets, more nurses, more money for the NHS, more money for schools. And people liked that message of hope. They didn't like to be ignored. And that is where I saw we really could make a difference to these people's lives. Um, we're not even six months into your um, your career as an MP. And we've now living through, you know, probably the biggest crisis this, this country's faced since the end of the world of World War Two. How is this changing, A, first, you know, your role, and B, what you're going to be able to deliver for your constituents? A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss well it, it's, as you said it's changing everything i think business as normal uh, it isn't happening as simple as that uh, and that's not just an mp's job that is across the country at all we are in unprecedented times i think it always takes a couple of months to get any new mp to get sort of embedded in and even things like it take, took me two months to get paper uh, and wow. literally uh, six weeks to get a chair and things like that, let alone members of staff and get an office sorted. So we'd only just sort of got all those things running smoothly when obviously this uh, crisis has hit us. So it is changing uh, everything we're doing. The first obvious thing is uh, remote working. Myself and my team, we're all uh, sitting in different houses working on this. It also limits what I can do as an MP. One of the most important things is being out in the community, talking to people, speaking to people, going to the events. Obviously, with social distancing, I can't do that. So it's all about trying to find other ways to reach out to uh, my, my community. It's all about the ways of whether it's Facebook, whether it's social media, and it's those aspects uh, of things. But it also is changing the, what we're doing on a day-to-day basis. So I'm getting about between four and 500 emails a day about coronavirus, about issues doing it. People, understandably, are, are worried, they're concerned. 
whether it's about the community, whether it's about their jobs, whether it's about the health service and what answers. And it's my job really to try and help people to first of all give them the answer they need. And if they don't have the answers or people have fallen through the cracks with the government support and people have, it's my job then to represent those people, to, to contact the ministers, contact the government, all the way up the chain to the chancellor, the health secretary to say, these people have been left behind, these people have been forgotten about, we need to change the policy to make sure this different group of people get the right benefits. And that way to make sure everybody is looked after and nobody gets left behind. And I think that's the most important thing. We're in unprecedented times. Government is doing an amazing job getting the right support for people, but inevitably people will feel, fall through the cracks. And it's my job, I see, to make sure that we reduce that and make sure nobody's left behind. Alex, as a, as a new MP and also quite a young MP, um, what kind of access do you get to, to, the, to the ministers, to the people who are kind of you know, running, running the country, people like Boris Johnson and the Chancellor and all that? Are you just, got, are you just a, a WhatsApp away from them? Um, completely, absolutely completely. I mean, I have had what's I have WhatsApp with the Chancellor. I WhatsApp with the Health Secretary recently. I've had a couple of meetings with the Prime Minister since being elected. Obviously, not recently. Uh, within a week of being elected, I had a meeting with the Chancellor uh, in Number Eleven Downing Street to discuss what we can do for our area. So yes, th- we have complete access to all uh, government mem- members and ministers. I've had several meetings with Boris and. That is one of the good things and the things I didn't appreciate fully uh, becoming elected is that access. I can literally stop, you know, Theresa May in the corridor, Boris in the corridor for a chat. And that's part of it. And that's one of the really good things, I think, about the UK Parliament system compared to actually, I'd say, any other ones. And why actually, during the moment, we haven't gone to sort of online virtual voting, Uh, because at the moment... uh, before this, obviously, everyone has to vote in a lobby. Everyone gets together and walks through either a, a yes or a no lobby when it comes to legislation. Now, that is not only a good tool of actually voting, but actually it's an amazing way of getting, you know, 300 people together. So I'm rubbing shoulders with, you know, the Jacob Rees-Mogg of this world, Matt Hancock, the Sasha Javid, the Boris Johnsons, and we're standing around for 10, 15 minutes waiting to vote and voting. And in those 10, 15 minutes... I can lobby, I can grab anybody, anyone from the Prime Minister down for a couple of minutes chat to raise an issue from a constituent to say this needs to change. And it is that access at all levels that makes, I think, our politics work very well. After all, the Prime Minister is only officially the first amongst equals. He is no more important officially than myself or any other MP. And it's that levelling off which means that we can have access. I mean... No other senator in America or senator or representative would have any access, really, to Donald Trump or any yeah. or president. But in our system, every time we vote, I, w- I am within touching distance of the prime minister, as every MP is. And it's that sort of access that really makes I think, our system work better for the average person on the street. So, so, Alex, when you first become an MP, what happens? Do they take you into a room somewhere and tell you all the state secrets? Or, you know, <laughs> I wish. I don't, haven't got the nuclear codes yet. Uh, <laughs> not, not high enough up for that. But no. Uh, the first thing I did, I got elected, was in the, uh, the Rotherham uh, Musical uh, Gymnasium, basically. And I got a letter from the chief executive with my sort of official, like, well done, you've done it. Uh, and then three days later, two days later, I went down to Parliament uh, in London I, I, I walked in, they greeted me, the doorkeepers, they said, hello, Mr. Stafford, they gave me my pass, gave me my computer, spent sort of a morning signing up to various, you know, help desks and lines and things like that. 
And that's really it. We had, as a group of new MPs, Conservative MPs, we had two days of inductions. And by inductions, I mean we sat in a room and various older MPs came and talked to us about everything from health and safety to uh, anti-bullying policies to what a vote is. And then that was it. That's literally it. About eight weeks later, I got an office. And by an office, I mean a physical room in the House of Commons. But that was it. Everything from our stationery to our staff, we have to sort out ourselves. Everything, we have to go out by yourself, speak to other MPs and get it sorted. There's no sort of hand-holding, there's no sort of this is what you must do. It's just go crack on with your job. You are representing the people. It's up to you how you want to represent your people, your constituents. And that's it. You, you told us that when you left university, you went and worked for in, in Westminster for a couple of Conservative MPs. Mm. And then you, you you were kind of in and around the Westminster, you know, bubble, as some people call it, for quite a while. Could you, is it, would it be easy enough if you weren't involved in politics, if you didn't have a career in politics, to just become an MP, you know, somewhere down the line? Or do you think that, that it's important to have that grounded within how Westminster works? I, I think it was very helpful for me and for the residents of Rother Valley that I understood the running of an office of, of functioning offices of how to get letters produced what to do and those sort of things i think that's very important but i think the most and gave me advantage over some mps who hadn't but actually i think the most important benefit of doing that was actually understanding the job i mean a lot of people listening to this would have watched things like the west wing and and great high polit- political dramas on television the bbc or whatever Politics, day-to-day politics, is not like that at all. Yes, there's a lot of high, uh, high politics involved as well, but it's actually helping out individual issues, whether it's about their unemployment benefit, their housing benefit, whether it's making sure, you know, dealing with immigration cases and getting those sort of aspects done, which matter to people's lives. And, yeah, the hours are long. Uh, the, the work can be often quite, quite challenging. No one ever comes to an MP when they're happy. Only people come to the MP generally when they're, there's something gone wrong with their life, and that's yeah. how it should be. So it's that understanding of what the actual job entails and understanding it is a lot of work. It's very rewarding work. It's great work. But it's a lot of work. Is, and actually, what, how you make a difference to that community. And I think it was that which really has given me, uh, helped me in, in, this, in this role. Um, Alex, if you could go back to the point when you were leaving school and give yourself some advice on you know your your kind of future career you know on on what you want to achieve what would that be oh that's 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 always a hard one i think don't rush into anything and also realize i I mean i'm 32 at the moment you know i i'm not very young but i'm not very old either i'm sure you know people who've just left benedict will think 32 is a ripe old age yeah it's really not and I do mean that in a way, like when you're when you left school and left university, you think at the age of 21, you know, everything or you think, you know, at the age of 21, that's going to define your entire life. It's not. Take some time to find out more about yourself. Take some time to start a career and then end it after a year. Take some time to go travelling. I mean, I a few up six, six years ago, I uh, I was in a job I, I didn't enjoy. Uh, frankly, the company was awful. The people were awful. Uh, so I went travelling with my wife for uh, for five months, six months. And I decided, well, I didn't enjoy what I was doing. It's I could continue down the, the same path. It was a relatively easy career to, to, to do. I wasn't challenging to enjoy it, but the actual job was straightforward. But I decided, no, I want something else. I don't know what that something else is. So I want to get a clean break and then come back and reset myself. 
And I think that is the most important thing. Realise when you've gone down the wrong path. Realise when you're not enjoying something. Realise when you're not making the right thing. And don't be scared to change it. I've got so many from my friends who, you know, went out, came out of university or school, went straight to a career and, yeah, their job's fine. But are they enjoying it? Do they think it makes a difference? Do they really want to do it? No, but they're still sticking with it because it's the easy thing to do. So my advice is don't worry about making a few mistakes, especially in your 20s. You're still very young. I mean, we'll be working until our late 60s, let's be honest. So if you're leaving school at 21, you've got 40 or so years at least of working ahead of you. Take your time to discover what you want to do. And don't worry if you want to reset your life. I know lots of people have, but I think for the better. Alex, you, you, you've been in Parliament for six months now, but uh, you know things can change very quickly in the House of Commons. Should we be expecting you to turn up on the front benches anytime soon? Is that something you aspire to? I think the most important thing for me is to represent my constituents in whatever way uh, is beneficial to them. Uh, and... I think I'm still I'm still young. I said I'm, I'm four or five months into the job. I'm still learning the ropes. I'm still getting used to things, and ultimately I'm still wanting. I always want to do what's best for my constituents, and I think being in Parliament is a great honour and a privilege in itself. As I said, who knows where the future will take me? But at the moment, I'm very happy doing what I'm doing, trying to make a difference to people's lives. That's a very political answer. Just before I go though, um, I want to ask you how isolation's going. I know you're expecting something uh, life changing to happen in any day now. Um, so yeah, tell us all about it. Yeah, well, it's very, very exciting. My wife is uh, pregnant. She's about to give birth. Yeah, literally uh, a week tomorrow in theory. But, you know, children come when they come. So we're just waiting, ready to go. Got the bag packed. So, you know, a couple of big life-changing events in the last sort of, you know, six months, you said, being elected to Parliament, uh, having a child on the way. So it is good. I mean, isolation yeah, can be tough for a lot of people. Uh, And it is tough for a lot of people, but it is the right thing to do. We do need to stay at home. That will protect the NHS and it is ultimately saving lives. So we do need to adhere to that uh, guidance because ultimately this will end. Coronavirus will end, whether it ends in a few weeks, few months or even longer. We don't know, but it will end. So there's no point going out there, getting ill, passing the infection on to people and ultimately, well, dying. Nothing is worth that. A few months of boredom is worth, frankly, keeping you and your loved ones safe and alive. So that's unfortunately what has to be. It's not ideal, but it is the the necessary uh, track we have to go down. Alex Stafford, MP for the Rother Valley, thank you for taking your time to talk to us today and good luck with all your future endeavours. And thank you very much for having me. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 